You're listening to Church Unplugged, the podcast of Christ Community Chapel. In each episode, we look at questions and topics that are related to our faith in Jesus and to the way that it plays out in everyday life. Our question today is how do we as Christians confront sinful behavior? So we know from scripture that every human being is fallen, which means we are all sinners. Sin is all around us. And at times we're going to see it. At times we're going to have opportunities to either validate it or participate it or not. How do we as followers of Jesus process through sin that's around us, confronting it, talking to people who are sinning about their sin? It's important for us as we seek to hold out the gospel to a world that needs it. So welcome in to Church Unplugged. Welcome into Church Unplugged. I'm Jimmy Cozy, part of the leadership team here at CCC. I have with me today Joe Coffey, our lead pastor, and then Zach Wyrock, another member of our leadership team. Uh, Our question today is, how can Christians confront sinful behavior? So uh, interacting with other human beings, we know from Scripture that every human being is a sinner. That means sin is happening around us all the time. We might even see it happening and be able to recognize it. As followers of Jesus, how do we process that? How do we confront it? Are there times when we would confront it? Are there times where we don't confront it? How can we, as followers of Jesus, deal with this issue? Yeah, it's a good question, and it's not an easy one, and it's incredibly nuanced. But, you know, I think part of, like, it's it's almost in some ways there are two competing interests here for the Christians, because, for Christians, because on the one hand, we live in a fallen world, a world that is tainted by sin, full of sinners, uh, uh, of which I'm including myself and all Christians. And so we know we're going to butt up against people making sinful choices in every area of life. And uh, yet also, we know that we're called to love people and to share the gospel with people. And we know that means being around people. So you've got on one hand, how do I, I got to be around people. I got to love people. I need to share Jesus with people. And then on the other hand, people do bad things and don't like to be told they do bad things, so how do I navigate that? And of course, the first thing, maybe the starting point is to say, there are two ways Christians tend to handle this very poorly. On the one hand, they retreat. They do like an Amish approach. Like what I'm going to do is because I can't be around wrong things, I'm going to build a bubble for myself and isolate myself and only be around like-minded people. So they give up mission for the sake of purity. On the other hand, you have some Christians who say, I just need to be around people and love people, and people don't feel loved when you tell them they're wrong. So I'm going to give up purity for mission. I'm going to be around everyone, affirm everyone, love everyone, but lay down objective standards of right and wrong. And we can't do either of those things because chiefly in this conversation, we have to start with this. Our most fundamental relationship is our relationship with God for his glory. Nothing we do, whether that's laying down his mission or laying down his law, nothing we do can 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 be... Uh, detrimental to his glory, to that relationship, because that is our most fundamental obligation. I think that's a good starting point. And then, like I said, it's an incredibly nuanced conversation. Yeah, yeah and then we, we have to look at Jesus, right, and, and try to figure out how he did it, right? Because you got uh, people who were uh, on the side of law who were very, very concerned about purity. And let's give the Pharisees the benefit of the doubt and say that they were doing it for good reasons, to try to please God, to try to give glory to God. And they looked at Jesus and they said, look at him. He is a drunkard and a glutton. And because he is not only, it seems like he is not only at the parties, Mm -hmm. he is participating in the parties. Mm -hmm. And then, but then somehow, uh, you know, we never have any indication 
that Jesus fell on the other side and just loved people and said that they were okay. Yeah, you think about someone like the rich young ruler who says, you know, what do I have to do? And Jesus says, you have to be perfect. The guy goes, well, I am perfect. Jesus could have said, even if he disagreed with the guy, he could have been like, well, okay. (laughs) You know, but instead he goes, well, actually you're not, you, you care more about money than you care about your relationship with God and people. And he lets him go. And thus then giving him truth at the cost of relationship. Right. Uh, and and for the most part, though, you know, Jesus was incredibly uh, winsome mm-hmm. to the people who were the 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 most uh, egregious sinners. Or, you know, Jimmy, you started with you know sometimes I mean, we know everybody's a sinner, but there are some sins that are obvious that you can just go, okay, that's they're sinning. You know, yeah. like I know we talked about it before we started to uh, record that one of the questions that we get asked a lot is somebody has a family member or a friend who uh, is getting married to their gay partner. And, and the question is, do, do I go to the wedding? Uh, do I celebrate that with them? And those are, are really difficult, I think, questions. But Jesus uh, is right in the middle of being accused of different things, and he never does it in such a way that uh, that makes people who are the most egregious sinners in their in their culture feel like he doesn't love them, care for them, and he never just condones sinful behavior. So, yeah, I guess the question: retreat to either extreme. How do we yeah. how do we do that? I mean, Jesus did it because he was Jesus. How do yeah. we do it in such a way that people look at us and they say, "Wow, I don't know, you know, what you're about, but you are you, you make me feel both loved and accepted." And I know where you stand. Does it, yeah. Does it help to think it, think almost think about it in the categories of how do we as Christians engage sinful behavior with other Christians, and how do we process through that? And then, if we don't know where somebody stands with Jesus, would we approach, would we approach it any differently? Yeah. Or is that well, a, I think we do. I think well, we could take one more step back and see how we approach sinful behavior in, in ourselves. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. And and you can sometimes tell how well somebody will do with somebody else and how they de- deal with themselves. I am much more gracious with myself than I am with anybody else's sin. Yeah, I think somewhat we have to forego the forced uh, dichotomy between love and law, right? Because I think it's it's false. So an example would be if in an effort to love someone, I legitimize their sin— then ultimately I'm not loving them Correct. because legitimized right. sin will never lead them to repentance. It will never lead them to need a savior. You don't need a savior if sin isn't sin, right? So, you know, I think we sometimes James force is, a distinction. If James is right, it's leading them right to death That's in, right. in a bunch yeah. of different ways. So, That's yeah. right. So I, I think the the difficulty here is is not it's not solved, but the pressure's released a little bit when I say Someone, I'm going to have to trust God that that what He says is right and wrong is actually loving for the person and what is best with whom, yeah. and I can't give it up. It'd be a little bit like parenting your child when they want candy for dinner, and you think, well, they're going to not feel like I love them when I tell them they can't have candy for dinner. But I also know if I give them candy for dinner, they will think I love them, but I will not be loving right, them. Right. Right. So, and I know that. So, in similar ways. I think when we are tempted for the sake of relationship to legitimize things that are wrong, it's a short-term, quote-unquote, love that is long-term, 
not loving. And, and I think, and, and I also think we have to recognize each of us have a tendency. And I think, Joe, that's what you were saying a little bit of like each of us tend towards saying, you got to tell the truth no matter what the consequence is, right? And are going to run the risk of running people over. And then some of us, you know, we fling, we swing the pendulum the other way and say, you just need to love people, even if it means swallowing, you know, your definition of truth. And we got to say, neither of those is okay. We got to force ourselves to walk down that middle of saying, right is right, wrong is wrong, but people matter no, no matter which they choose. Right. Yeah. Now, sometimes when I'm talking to, let's say, uh, a parent of a child, uh, that's what I will ask them. Like they'll say, uh, my daughter's coming home with her partner, right? What should I, what should I do? And I'll say, does your daughter, is your daughter under any um, illusion mm. that you think it's okay? Mm. And the, the parent that I'm talking to at this particular time that I'm remembering would say, no, absolutely. She knows we think it's wrong. I said, well, then <laughs> kind of that box is checked. Mm-hmm. You got to make sure that mm-hmm. she feels mm-hmm. like you love her. Now, there are other people, if I ask them that question, they'll go, ah, uh, I don't know. Um, you know, we've always tried to be accepting. I said, well, then you probably have to swing the yeah. other way and make sure that she knows yeah. what is the right thing according yeah. to God. Because she already believes that you love her. I love that language of boxes that are checked, because I I think that what we want to do is have the God is holy, God is just, he alone says what's right and wrong, and we affirm that. That box has to be checked. Right. On the other hand, people matter and we love people. That box needs to be checked. And we're trying to find in these, and again, I'm being overly simplistic, but we're, we're trying to find in these situations, is there an answer that allows me to check both boxes? Is there a is there a way? And I know we tend to go, no, I'm gonna have to check one or the other. And maybe maybe sometimes it seems like that's true, but I think we need to fight to find an answer. And so I do think there is difficulty to give a umbrella answer with celebrating things that God says are wrong, because I I think the whole idea of celebration of any sort is assigning value to something saying this is worthwhile, this is good, this is right, this is, you know, this is wonderful. And we got to be careful with that. Uh, but I also think people need to know, regardless of the choices they make, that we love them. And I'm going to try to hold those things And together. when you see both boxes checked, uh, it is a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, I just recently was uh, involved uh, talking with somebody via email uh, it's a young woman who was asked by a relative who had walked away from the faith years ago, and she was finally going to marry her longtime um, uh, boyfriend, and she wanted uh, this church member uh, to get ordained to marry her, to or to get licensed so that she could marry them. And this one was asking me, what should I do? How can I affirm my love for her, but also, and I said, you should tell her that, well, she wanted her to do a secular wedding. And I said, you should tell her you don't know how to do that. You don't know how to disconnect marriage from uh, Jesus and his love for us. And you would be glad to do it and love her, but you need to do it in a way that affirms what you really believe about marriage. And she ended up going to her friend, her, uh, cousin and saying that. And 
<laughs> the cousin said, I figured you'd say that, so I've already gotten somebody else. Yeah. But she got to affirm yeah. that. But I love that she yeah. was saying, how do I do both? How do I, because that's what she was basically asking. I want to check both boxes. Yeah. How do I make sure? And I love that that she thought enough to come to me to ask me yeah. and then cared enough to try to do it. Yeah. So I, I think to put, uh, I think to put this in a example, like to pin myself down, if you said to me, Zach, your son, Deacon, who's 12 now, let's fast forward 10 years, he's 22, he's living with a woman, right? And you say, uh, Zach, how would you handle that? Okay. Uh, I wouldn't get them a housewarming gift, right? That right. would be celebrating something I can't celebrate, but I would have them over for dinner. And if he lived in another town and they came to visit, I, would, I wouldn't give them sleeping arrangements outside of what they're used to. They would know where I stand, right? but I would also say, you're not there, and I love you, and I, I am not alienating you because of this decision. So I'd want to strike that balance between, so I wouldn't go to a wedding I couldn't celebrate, but I wouldn't separate from that person relationally. And I've been asked before to go to a wedding. And then you have wedding. to be very careful the way you turn yeah. down that wedding. No right? doubt. The way well, you say, well I have been asked before by a family member whose wedding I did not support and and could not support, I felt like, for biblical reasons. And I said, I said to her, uh, I love you, and you want people there on that day who will celebrate, who will smile and mean it, who will affirm what you're doing. That's what you want. That's why people have weddings, right? If I were there... I couldn't do that. I, I wouldn't be able to. Even if I were there smiling, you would know inwardly I did not agree with that. You don't need that. That's not what you want, right? So, and yet having said that, when you get married, as I know you're going to, right, you're absolutely welcome in my home. You're absolutely welcome to visit. You're absolutely, right. so, you know, I'm just trying, and I was very honest, I'm trying to strike a balance here where I can't, I cannot do something that I think would be disrespectful to God. What he says is wrong. Because I God cannot wants celebrate. the best for you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so and I want because, the best for you. That's right. right. And because I love God, right? right? I love you, but I also love God. And I, you know, and if I have to choose, I'm going to choose him. But I think there's a way that I can still love you and be here for you as a family member, even if I'm not at the wedding. And I'm happy to say that I think that relationship today is is strong. It, it's it's good. I think we, ha- we were able to sit down and have a conversation and, and it mat- even just me saying to them, it matters to me that you know why, where I'm coming from, yeah. and it matters to me. I, th- I think it, it really comes down to a difference between uh, some of the things that you've already said, but wanting the other person to experience the feeling, quote unquote, of love, yeah. and actually knowing what it means to love that person in light of who God is and what he's revealed about himself, because I think the parenting analogy is a really good one. There are a lot of things that my kids want to do that uh, I, w- I want them to be happy. I want them to have fun. But if I let them do those things, it would actually be... Yeah, I think the way... I'm sorry, Jordan. So many times that we equate, in our culture, we equate love with acceptance. Yes. Or right? agreement. Yeah. Agreement. Yeah. And so we say, if you don't agree with me, you don't love me. And we have to, we have to correct that and, and right. keep correcting that, even if they don't accept it, just say, no... I love you. I can love you and disagree with you. Yeah. Again, to go back to that, you can fall off on either side, right? And I think on the one hand, I don't want to underestimate that my calling sin, sin is the thing God's going to use to call them to repentance. I don't want to underestimate that. I think if you only affirm, then 
you, and you think, well, one day God will get a hold of them. Well, let me ask you this question. How's it going to happen if every Christian in their life is affirming <laughs> is affirming them? Their understanding of God is going to be that he's cool with it because all of his people are cool with it. So I can't underestimate the idea that that by my saying this is wrong, God will lead that person to repentance. But on the other hand, if I've alienated myself from them, I cannot participate in that process, right? So I want to both stay present enough that when the moment arises, I can speak to them about forgiveness and grace and holiness and repentance and all that, but then also want to have been consistent enough that when I use words like repentance and forgiveness, they have meaning <laughs> because if everything I do is okay, what is repentance? What right. is forgiveness? I don't need them. And I, I think, un, unfortunately, most Christians tend to adopt an extreme view where either they so hold out what's right that they separate themselves from any hope of participating in that person's repentance, uh, or they so affirm they they separate any hope of actual repentance. It's not necessary. So I don't want to do that. One question I have is uh, when so we've been what we've been talking about seems to be uh, the the situation where somebody is is engaging in sinful behavior, and we're pretty sure they would disagree with us about it being sinful. Maybe a place to pivot to would be as we seek to help and spur on other Christians and we recognize sin in their lives, how do we handle those conversations and how would you how would you push push people to to talk about those kinds of issues? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm, I I think when I was a pastor in Cleveland at the church I planted, uh, the the most the time I would see this the most is in people's dating lives. Right, they would run headlong into dating someone usually who is not a Christian, right? And they would just, and that would invariably have a negative effect on their own walk uh, with Jesus. And I would sit down with them and say, "What you're doing is wrong," and they would say, "Why does it really matter?" And I think that's the thing: when we sin, two things are happening in our hearts. One is we are not trusting God. That's what's really going on. Whatever manifestation that is, we're saying God doesn't want what's right. He doesn't want what's best. He wants what's worst. So I can't do it his way because I want I want what's best. But the second thing we're doing is we're we're saying we're minimizing the thing. We're saying in the end, what difference does this really make? So I found this helpful, and I'm going to use this as an analogy, that when I would sit with a, a particularly a woman who was dating a non-Christian guy, and they would say, "Will you do my wedding?" or and I would say, "No," and they would they would I mean they would be shocked. What? Why? And so let me ask you a question. If you were marrying a member of the Ku Klux Klan, do you think I ought to do that wedding? And they would gasp and say, well, no, I would never marry a racist. And so well, let me ask you a question. Why is it worse in your mind to marry someone who minimizes the value of a human being based on the color of their skin, which, by the way, is awful, but it is totally okay for you to marry someone who minimizes the value of the Son of God? And invariably, it would wash over them like, oh, shoot. And I'm saying, see, that's what you've done. You've told yourself it's no big deal, but you're in a relationship with someone who denies that Jesus is who he says that he is. How is that not offensive to you? And so what I'd always try to help them see is your problem isn't you're dating a non-Christian. Your problem is that long ago, you stopped trusting God and you stopped taking seriously the glory of Jesus. Well, when did that happen? Let's go back to that moment, because I think if we could recover those things, then you wouldn't be making these choices. So I think sometimes it's saying, I don't want to talk to you about who you're dating or how you're spending your money or what you're posting on social media. 
I want to go a little deeper and say, why is it that you're so at odds with how God views the world? Like, when did you stop listening to Jesus and why? Let's talk about that, because if we can fix that, then this behavior is in the end going to take care of itself. And part of your uh, your question, if I understand it right, Jimmy, is, uh, you know, how do we as Christians confront sin you know, in each other? And I think uh, for someone to, let's say, let me put myself in the place of needing to be confronted. Um, I need to be convinced that the person who's confronting me loves me. You know, that's, they better have that, that box checked first, right? And then, uh, then they can check the truth box, yeah. right? But most people, I think, will tend to, to go, you know what, I need to confront you because I have the truth. I'm, I'm going to check the truth box. So uh, for me, I think well, one of the things you know, we, we continue, and we're going to talk more and more and more about it at Christ Community Chapel, but uh, for everyone to be in a group, in a small group, and like you know, we talked about sitting in rows as opposed to sitting in circles. When you sit in a circle, you you form relationships with each other. We you have to be in relationship with other Christians that is to such a degree uh, that that you are convinced that they love you and that you love them, and then we will become a better church and better people because we'll have people around us that will love us enough to confront us and have a relationship that's strong enough with us uh, that will allow us to receive that confrontation and become more like Jesus. And that's what we want. Yeah, that's really well said. And I think you're saying this, I'm just going to make it a little more explicit. The time to build that relationship is now. Right. It isn't when you find them in sin. (laughs) Like at that point, you either have the relationship or you don't. And like a lot of things in life, we tend to only think about something when it rears its ugly head versus saying, hey, I better get busy about being known and knowing people, being loved and loving people, so that when I find myself in sin or someone else does, there are people there who love me or I love them enough to actively engage it. And you know, sometimes you don't realize your need for community until it's too late. And so you just got to trust us enough to start building it. You're going to need it and they're going to need you. You've been listening to Church Unplugged, the podcast of Christ Community Chapel. In each episode, we're going to look at topics and questions that are related to our faith in Jesus and to the way that it plays out in everyday life. We want your feedback. We want your suggestions. If you've got ideas or questions that you'd like to hear answered on the show, you can email us at churchunplugged at ccchapel.com. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.